Welcome to the Riverside Project podcast. We are mobilizing Houston to empower families and transform generations. We hope these conversations will give you a greater understanding of the issues facing our community and inspire you to find your place along the river. Today we have Lavinia Chapman with us. Um, Lavinia is the co-founder and program director for Hearts with Hope Foundation. Um, Hearts with Hope is a local GRO or group residential operation. Um, it provides treatment services for girls ages 7 to 23. Before founding Hearts with Hope, Lavinia worked in the oil and gas industry for 21 years. Um, and she not only has a passion to provide really high quality residential care for the girls that they serve, but she's also passionate about raising up and supporting leaders um, all over the city of Houston. And so we're really grateful just for her leadership in the space and for her being with us today. So thank you, Amber, for having me. You. Of course. Um, so as always, let's start off just by learning a little bit about Hearts with Hope. What is a GRO, all those acro acronyms that we have in the child welfare system? Can you explain a little bit about what that is? It's a group residential operation. Well, what general is that? residential operation. General. general. Okay, yeah. I said that wrong. General residential operations provide um, services for youth seven or more in the foster care system. And those services can range from um, treatment services to uh, programmatic services. And um, it determines what the use needs are based on, on the um, services that you provide. Okay. So what, what kinds of treatment um, are you talking about? Um, therapy. Okay. Um, life skills. Um, we, we do educational programs and anything that really helps the child to... Um, help them get past their um, past and help them live a, a normal life as much as possible. Okay. So what kinds of, um, how do girls find you? How does, how do they get referred to your program? They get referred by the um, Department of Family Protective Services through the um, CPS. Okay. Gotcha. And then tell me a little bit about your staff and, and kind of what happens on a day to day just within the well, I'm glad you asked that. <laughs> <laughs> All the things. I a, a typical day at Hearts with Hope um, would be the girls wake up early in the morning to get ready for school. Um, some of them may or may not get out of the bed. Some of them have to be prompted more than others. Usually we may have one or two girls that are home from school because they're suspended because of fighting or mm. uh, just having a bad day, Yeah, um, which happens and the staff will work with them, um, help them to get the education that they need that mm -hmm. they would have missed if they had not been at school. Um, when the girls come home from school in the afternoon, um, there's a, a full schedule that provides, um, they may have therapy one day. Um, mm -hmm. We talk about therapy, we talk about um, individual therapy, group therapy. Yeah. Um, they may have a um, meeting with their family support specialist. Mm -hmm. um, that entails them actually um, doing Zoom calls with their family if there's a reconnection there that we're trying to make. Um, there may be um, volunteers from the community that come over. We work with the Hay Center mm -hmm. to provide um, academics for the youth that are having challenges in the school system. Yeah. Um, they go outside and do recreation, um, have dinner. They're in bed by 8. Yeah. So it's it's a pretty full day, especially when they get home from school. Everything starts right away. Yeah, it sounds like a, a, a lot all at once. 
um, that they get hit with. Can you tell us a little bit about what the trajectory is? So a, a girl will be referred to you and are the, do they stay a long time? Is it um, maybe differs from girl to girl? How does that how does that work? What's the kind of trajectory for them? Well, we pride ourselves in, in focusing on the individual needs of the youth. Mm-hmm. And so you may have some that stay with us six to nine months. Okay. Um, we've had them as long as four years where um, we've had we had this one in, in this one youth who was actually with us and she had been in several placements prior to coming to Hearts with Hope and the judge saw the progress that she was making mm-hmm. and he court ordered that she stay with us so she stayed with us until she was 17 yeah and she um, ended up going to a foster home and we kept we still keep in touch with her today so Good. that's one of those great stories yeah, it almost becomes like a family for some of them, hopefully all of them in some yes, ways. Yes, it does. Yeah. And and for, for the staff as well. Yeah, that's good. I assume that having that many girls all together who are all teenagers, and how many would you say that girls are, are with you at a time on any given day? We have a bed service for 29 youth. Okay. And we've, I think the most we've had is is right now we have 21. Okay. And having, we have actually two two programs. We have the um, GRO program, and then in addition to that, we have the transitional living program. Okay. So the home that houses the GRO program houses up to 19 beds. Okay. Um, and then we have the transitional living program that has up to 10, 10 youth. Okay. Um, each one is, is different in the sense that the GRO focuses more on the treatment services, the childhood trauma that the child has been through Mm -hmm. and um, the transitional living program is helping those youth because they can move from one program to the next. Mm -hmm. Uh, Very few actually come in from the outside into the TLP program because there are certain criteria that they have to meet. Right. But the TLP focuses on life skills, helping to prepare the youth when they age out of the system to where they can actually be more independent. Yeah, absolutely. It's quite a shift. I mentioned earlier that you you used to be in oil and gas for many years, um, living in the business world, and then it's pretty hard left going into um, into this work. What what motivated you to do that? When I left the oil and gas business, um, actually before I left the oil and gas business, I knew that my purpose was to do something with kids. When I was working for the oil and gas industry, I actually did a lot of volunteering and mm-hmm. some. Um, coaching and some tutoring with youth and I just fell in love with it and knew that this is where I wanted to be so when I left the oil and gas business my husband and I Pat um, we visited a couple of RTCs and I really when I was working for the oil and gas company I thought maybe working with youth in a daycare Mm -hmm. um, the babies that you can cuddle and and, and they won't talk back to you, but God had a different purpose for us. And so we worked and visited um, a couple of RTCs and fell in love with the kids. And God just, he just drew us to mm-hmm. that industry, that field. And so um, I volunteered at an RTC and my husband supported every step of the way. And he retired from AT&T. And so we were able to pull it together with the support of other providers. Yeah, that's incredible. I mean, it is, yeah, it's so inspiring to think um, that you can just make that shift and and follow that calling. And in some ways, I'm sure that 
you know, you mentioned a daycare is not exactly what you intended to do with the little ones, but I'm sure the same type of care is needed. You know, to talk about going all the way back and providing nurturing care and what those girls need. It is. It is. Yeah. Um, different age group, but they still need the same things. They yeah. need the love. They need the the, the patience, um, the understanding, and um, they so much need our attention. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's that connection. It's that relationship. Absolutely. You mentioned a little bit about the challenges that some of the kids face. They sometimes don't want to go to school. They some have behaviors. They have trauma, right? At the at the root of some of those behaviors is the, the experiences that they've had that have led to um, struggling in that way and struggling with interconnectedness and, and that feeling of belonging. How have you seen that, you know, manifest? And then what is, what is Hearts with Hope doing? What type of training, you know? How are you equipping um, yourselves to care for those kids with those types of trauma? The youth have had um, a lot of trauma in their past, and mm. that is they've been taken away from their families, and that's how they end up in the foster care system in the first place. Yeah. So you've got your heart goes out to them when you're you're reading their packets to see you know how can you care for this youth? Are they a fit for our program? Um, my staff and I, we, we, we use the, fa- the evidence-based um, care and services to provide a safe, mm-hmm. supportive, structured environment uh, in a home-like area that actually helps the youth to um, give them support mm-hmm. f- and help them through the, the trauma um, that they've, they've lived through. Yeah. And so making sure that we have the proper training um, making sure that we are monitoring the staff and the youth mm-hmm. to see what training is needed um, and consistently providing that training and that structure for the youth. A lot of the youth that we receive through the foster care system, um, they need that one-on-one structure. They have mm-hmm. um, that high intensity of behaviors that can include anything from um, um self-abuse to um, homicidal behaviors, a lot of just not knowing because Mm -hmm. of their past how to be a child at times. Right. Many of them just trying to survive, right? Just trying to survive Um, and having to meet them there and all different, lots of different girls with different challenges. I cannot imagine um, the way that you'd have to equip your team um, just to be flexible, um, to be able to, to be compassionate, you know, and also to provide structure that is as a parent um, just with our own children, that balance (laughs) for one or two is, is just a challenge. You have to provide that structure and also just deep, deep compassion for healing going a little bit further into what I talked about before, not only are you caring for the girls in your home and your own team and trying to make sure that kids are safe and cared for Mm -hmm. and getting the healing that they need, you also have stepped into caring for other providers. We kind of co-host a RTC collaborative where you've been doing this for many years, bringing other providers together and saying, it's not enough for us to do this as well as we can. We actually need everyone to do this as well right. as we can. And so you've actually used your own experience to not only advocate legislatively and talk to the people in charge, but getting those people together in the same room and saying, we're here for you too, so that we can do this together. Yeah. Why did you start doing that? Um, what, what motivated you to, to start that? 
when we started Hearts with Hope in 2007, we felt like we were alone. Mm. And we had a lot of challenges up until around 2015, where we had two wonderful ladies um, from a local church to knock on our door and provide us and offer us offer us mm-hmm. assistance from their church and from the community. And when we realized for a while we couldn't do it by ourselves, it was easy for us to accept that help. Yeah, A lot of providers don't feel that way. They still feel mm-hmm. like they're on an island by themselves. And they, they know that they want to help children. They want to help support their needs, but yeah. they just don't know how. Mm-hmm. So they get into the business with no support, no guidance on what to do and how to do it. Yeah. So um, along the side of a couple of other um, individuals, we created the um, RTCGRO Providers Collaboration. Mm-hmm. Uh, we meet quarterly. Um, we invite panels guest panels to talk about the concerns, the changes in the system. Mm-hmm. Um, we provide training and um, just sharing of information and networking with other providers that are out there that have questions uh, or need some type of assistance or just even a direction on where mm-hmm. to go to get the help. And so that was important to me because the providers that helped Hearts with Hope open, mm-hmm. I wanted to give back to others. Yeah. In terms of the river that we always talk about, a lot of, you know, foster families, organizations like yours, you're the people in the water actively trying to care and and get kids to the side. You're trying to get them stabilized. You're trying to help them into adulthood. Um, And you mentioned just churches and other organizations and partnerships in the community that can help. It's interesting how we we talk about how you can find a place upstream, midstream, downstream, but you can find a place not just in the water, but at different levels of proximity to the people in the river. Does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense. So you may be the ones jumping in and caring for those girls, but there can be somebody on the side who's saying, Hey, we're going to, mm-hmm. we're going to make sure that the home that you have is in good order. And we're going to help with landscaping. We're going to help with um, making sure the home, you know, if you have a repair that's needed, we're going to make sure that mm-hmm. you have that. And um, just the seeing you and encouraging you and you not feeling alone that opens up so many doors for the community, right, to step into your world. Amber, you're absolutely right. Um, I look back on before these ladies came to our door and the struggles that we had. Mm -hmm. And then I look at from since 2015, how we have grown with community partners and Mm -hmm. organizations like Building New Foundations and Harvey Builders and um, different churches and um, the collective action for youth and um, just to name a few, I mean, that have been with us and walked with us through those challenges now. Mm -hmm. And they're not just saying here a one-time service. They're actually there working alongside us with the girls, providing mentorships and and giving them a lot of support and just someone to be able to call when they're having a bad day. Yeah. I don't think people really understand how important that is to our Mm -hmm. youth. Yeah. Having those connections as they move into adulthood, we 
done a book study together where we're teaching providers that partnerships in the community are so vital because that's where these kids are going to hopefully end up one day mm-hmm. in the community and we want them to be able to thrive. So those opportunities to to step in and, and see a, a kid, see a youth and the things that they're good at, the things that they're interested in, and then finding ways um, to connect them to, to places where they can use those gifts. Um, it's just, it's such a, a movement into the community that if the community is not there and ready to receive those kids, um, it just makes it a lot harder for them to build you know, that relationship. It does. Absolutely. Well, let's talk a little bit too on, on um, just the challenges of providers. So we're kind of shifting more to the system itself. Um, you know, we've, we've gone to Austin, we've, um, yes. linked arm in arm there saying, Hey, there's, there's things here. Um, we hear all the time that the system is broken and we know that in many ways it is, but we are really looking to find ways to transform, um, this kind of system that we're all working, to, working in, um, because at the end of the day, it's the kids and the families, um, that we want them to heal. Right. And right. so, what would you say are kind of the main things that you really want to see happen for providers um, and for the care that kids and families receive through living in these congregate care residential operations? Well, I would be remiss if I didn't put the truth out there of the struggles and the challenges that providers go through. Um, Working with individuals through the um, GROTC Providers Collaboration you hear a lot of stories, um, and even some of my own personal stories, I can relate to what they're saying. Um, two years ago, if you'd asked me this question about the system, I would have said it's just as broken as the youth we serve. Hmm. Since the lawsuit and the um, attention that the child without placement is receiving, um, it has shed a light on um, holding people more accountable for their actions. And while we know that there are individuals that are in this wholeheartedly, the same is true to individuals who Mm. come in half doing or half knowing how to support the youth and their needs. Right. So staffing is a big issue, um, especially since COVID. We had challenges prior to COVID, but even more so now after COVID, people just don't want to work. It's important for us to have the staff that are stable and Mm -hmm. that are there and that have been with us for years. We have our longest longevity is about 13, 14 years. And it varies from there. And we have a stable staff that Mm -hmm. are in it for the right reasons. And that is because they want to support the youth. Mm -hmm. Um, Challenges of being um, micromanaged and being able to um, make sure that uh, we're doing what we're supposed to do and um, struggles that include um, maybe sometimes when there are double standards um, mm-hmm. for one organization and not the other, depending on who who is your compliance officer, um, being able to learn from minimum standards but not have double jeopardy. Mm-hmm. The way the system is set up right now, you have DFPS and HHSC, and some of their compliance uh, requirements overlapped. So if you make one error, it can cause you several minimum standard violations. Gotcha. And 
right now the viol the minimum standards there's over 400 pages of standards that you have to meet and some of them don't even apply or have anything to do with the safety of the youth mm -hmm. and so that needs to be relooked at which i think there's a bill mm -hmm. um yeah. house bill 1517 that's out yep. that i hope passes and i support wholeheartedly um, where they're going to take a look at the overlap and and focus on certain levels of of um, compliances mm -hmm. i think the staff fiend and the um lack of communication and collaboration between the system and the providers is, is a big issue. A lot of providers feel that they're just caregivers and they're not being heard. Yeah. And we work with these youth day in and day out. So if you really want to get to the root of the cause and help support mm -hmm. these youth and have them be more successful when they age out of the system, talk to the providers, talk mm -hmm. to the youth. Yeah. Um, Youth have a, a they have a lot need to a say. Bigger say, yeah, in what their own lives. And so when you talk about the, the chain of command, we're at the bottom, at the very bottom. And the system allows youth to be able to manipulate and get away with a lot of things. Um, we understand that because of their, their trauma, mm -hmm. but there needs to be more accountability from the youth. Um, when I look at general residential operations, RTCs, shelters, you're looking at a different youth than you are a kid mm -hmm. in the foster care or a foster home. Yeah. Okay. Kids in a foster home, they have more support. Um, it's an ideal. They're in a family. Yeah. They're in a family it's situation. It's an ideal relationship. But when those youth have been through so much trauma and they have a lot of anger and aggression, mm -hmm. they have to let that out because they don't know how to communicate. Yeah. When you've got a younger age group, it's easy to do that in a family setting. Mm -hmm. But when you have youth that are maybe around the age of 12 and up, they're older, they've been in the system longer, they know how to manipulate things, they know what to say mm -hmm. to get to the psych hospital. To survive. And to survive. And so I think just being able to support those youth and give them the structure that they need mm -hmm. and the support um, goes a long way. Yeah. That's not easy. You know, when you're looking at how do we keep these kids safe? Um, but again, how do we make sure that we're compassionate towards them as well? Um, there's, there's so much there, right? There's so yes. much that, um, that is needed. And one of the things you keep pointing to is, is that collaborative, let's listen to one another. Mm -hmm. Let's hear about each other's struggles and let's try to get on the same page. And we've talked a lot about transition planning, just from this, the fact that many of these youth have moved so many times and then they start over with every transition. And so how do we actually come to the table, caseworker, supervisor, mm -hmm. you know, therapist, provider or foster family so that we're doing right by this kid as they move from one place to another. We know from, from um, TBRI, from trauma training, that transitions are a key area where dysregulation mostly happens because it's terrifying mm -hmm. for kids to move. Um, even if they say they want to, it's typically where we see most of those behaviors. And yet so often it's that transition that there's no communication, right? The kid doesn't know where they're going, where they're mm -hmm. at. Um, and so even just finding places like that, that we can we can come together and and do a better job with that that smooth transition. 
there's so much there too that we could point towards. And I kind of want to ask the question too, if we were to sit here in five years, what would you hope is different? What would you hope we would either no longer be talking about or if you could just imagine sitting here again five years from now, what would the state of the system be? I think that if the system was less punitive to providers and gave support and collaboration and actually listened to what we had to say, um, we would be able to support and prevent um, hmm. trauma from ha rehappening again um, and making sure that the youth are safe, working together. And yeah. that is that is so, so important and so key to what we do. Um, I think that there's more of that in the last two years than there has been mm -hmm. in a while. Yeah, I've seen that. And I've seen... Um, our stakeholders are more aware. Mm -hmm. um, they're listening more. Mm -hmm. And we're still not there yet. Um, we still need to work with those youth that are in hard to place yep. spaces in their life. Um, they have those high risk behaviors that I are alarmingly increasing. Yep. Um, and I think that those are the challenges that the providers face every day. I would like to see in five years, um, we provide more services that pro help the families mm -hmm. along with the youth, that maybe we are putting together a program where the youth are able to stay in their homes in a safe place where they provide the families mm -hmm. are being um, given skills like yeah. um, TBRI or they're working and they're receiving services that will help them. Well, what... If you were to look back at, do you see any of the glimpses of hope or any stories where you can look back and say, this is where we got it right. This is a situation or a story of, of one of the youth who um, you mentioned before, a, a girl who um, you're still in contact with. Are there, are there things that you can look to um, that you've already experienced within Hearts with Hope that you can say, this is, this is where it worked well. This was a story of success and hope. Um, can you share any of those with us? Absolutely. Um, there was one youth, and she was brought into the system at age five along with her siblings. And they were bounced from family to um, foster homes, um, into congregate care, um, and back and forth. And she came to us when she was, I think, about 15 years old. And when she came to us, she was at the point of no hope. Um, she really didn't care about what happened to her or mm -hmm. where what her future looked like. We were able to dig deep into her issues and provide the services that she needed, the care, the love, the attention, the family mm -hmm. type atmosphere. And she was sent her level of care dropped and she went to a foster home. Um, she is still with that foster home today. Um, she d has some college under her belt, but she is now working at Hearts with Hope. Wow. Um, taking care of the same youth that are in the same situations That's that she incredible. was in before. Um, the other thing is we've had youth to leave our program and they call us and ask us questions about where do I go to get services? Mm -hmm. Um, I'm pregnant now. How can I find care for my baby? Mm. Um, how do I find a, an apartment? And talking to the management at Hearts with Hope and the board of directors, 
we knew there was something that we had to do that was different than what had been done before, thinking outside mm-hmm. the box. So we're in our capital campaign to build a learning center that is going to provide these services to youth while they're in our care and not just the youth in our care, but other foster care youth in the area mm-hmm. so that we can provide technical and academic services like um, cosmetology, computer cool. classes, life skills, uh, driver's ed, which is is a big issue, mm-hmm. um, to help these youth be able to be prepared yeah. and have a foundation before they age out of the system mm-hmm. and to not only provide services for the youth, but for their family. Yeah. And being able to do that in the context of the relationships that they already have, right? Not right. just the skills building outside of that relationship, but to be able to do that within the context of kind of their what their, is their family? Their you know, safe place. Their safe place, right? Mm-hmm. That's a great way to put it. Um, well, just know that we are are so grateful for you. Um, we're grateful that Hearts with Hope exists in our community. We're grateful for the opportunity to come alongside. And you know, we've I've told you this before, but we're in any way that we can make it um, make those partnerships more accessible. So we're grateful to be able to come alongside um, and support you. And thank you for the work that you do. Thank you. Of course. To those listening, we hope these conversations have inspired you to find your place along the river. And we welcome you to join us in bringing hope and renewal to the city of Houston. If you'd like more information on how to get involved, please visit riversideproject.org and submit a contact form. We'll see you next time.